0: It's Jennifer Diane Gostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. A part of my identity is being an adoptee, being separated at birth from my original family and placed into foster care for two years before being adopted. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience, wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? My guest today is a transracially adopted Korean American, a mother of two young children and an interior designer. She writes both creative nonfiction and fiction about grief, adoption, motherhood, and race. She hopes to raise awareness about the inherent complexities of adoption by sharing her writing with readers both inside and outside of the adoption constellation. Her name is Sarah J. Streeter, and we met in the Adoptive Voices writing group created by Sarah Easterly during 2021. I've been looking forward to this conversation with Sarah Streeter, and it was well worth the wait. Sarah has published two of her pieces in the Adoptee Voices eZine, been a guest on the Janchi Show podcast, published in literary journals, and will read for us during this recording, My Sister's Octopus, published in the Pete Smoke Journal. During this episode, Sarah shares a part of her relinquishment, adoption, and birth family reunion journey. She opens up about being in the public eye with her writing while holding space for her elderly parents who at times have different views about her lived experience. Sarah has spent time traveling and living in other parts of the U.S. and has now settled in Silver Spring, Maryland. Allow me to introduce to you someone who knows the power of the pen and is intentional about centering the adoptee narrative through her words. In 2017, she returned to Korea and met biological family members Through the challenges that have surfaced with reunion, Sarah is managing how to best learn more Korean culture while incorporating new ways to celebrate her life as a person separated from her country of origin. Sarah, I am so happy to have this conversation with you. And I just want to first tell the listeners that we met through Adoptive Voices, the writing group created by Sarah Easterly, and you are a phenomenal writer, and it's just been a a pleasure getting to know you, and I know right now you're in Silver Spring, Maryland. How are you doing there today?
1: Hi, Jennifer. I'm really (laughs) good. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast and your kind words about my writing, and you're such a lovely person, and this is such a fantastic way to share people's stories so thank you for having me on
0: it yes I anticipate us having a wonderful conversation there's so much that you have to share and as we all know for a podcast we just really give the listener a part of our journey and so wherever you want to start and however much you want to share would be great
1: Sure, so I was born in Daegu, South Korea in 1982. Let's see, I was transferred then to Seoul when I was a few days old to Eastern Social Welfare Society. From there, I was flown over to the U.S. and adopted by my parents. I was the only child, sort of. I have three older sisters, significantly older from my dad. First marriage, his previous marriage. I didn't grow up in the same household as they uh, as they were in. I grew up mostly in like the Mid Atlantic region, kind of what I say. Started in Maryland, lived in Virginia, spent my formative years in Southern Virginia, and you know ended up uh, in DC and in, in the Maryland region. And I'm kind of just unpacking my my adoptee life right now, getting to know the community, learning what it is to be an adoptee.
0: You know, I often ask this question towards the end, but I think this is a good place to ask you. How has it been getting better connected to the adoption community? How rewarding has it been?
1: Oh my gosh. It's been absolutely life-changing. It's so comforting. And It's not even like the best word. It just feels so like great, so satisfying to have like, my experiences validated to be supported to support others and like i said to live learn from other people and just i don't know it's been so great and i blessed to have so many other adopted people in my life and to uh, call them my friends and and it's kind of become you know now like coming out of the fog or whatever my my main identity and in some ways i that's my main
0: community now. So it's been fantastic. You are an amazing writer. I know that you will read a piece for the audience uh, later. I just want to say that when I saw your website, sarahjstreeter.com, yeah. right? Yeah, yep. And when I read, and I think it was on the website, I read that you write about longing adoption mm-hmm. grief race and the in between
1: mm-hmm.
0: why are you writing about those things
1: well <laughs> there's so many reasons i mean i guess it all kind of started just as like a i you know a therapy kind of thing like it feels good to write all this stuff out all this stuff i've been kind of keeping inside for my whole life and not feeling safe enough to talk about It kind of evolved into, um, let me share my story. Let me share it from different angles. And I'm really interested in, you know, getting it out to the adoption constellation, of course. And also, like, you know, non-adopted people, just so it's on the radar. I've been submitting to these sort of non-adoptee, necessarily non-adoptee, like literary journals. I've gotten such great feedback telling my story and really, like, a lot of support, which has been like a little bit surprising because it's such a vulnerable place, you know, for us. So yeah, I I think in some ways I want to tell part of my story and get it out there, share it with sort of everyone. And sometimes I I was talking about this yesterday in some context, but when I write these things, it becomes like, I mean, too cheesy but it comes it becomes like a piece of art or something mm-hmm. right like I'm an artist like a design background I'm an interior designer and so it's like when I make these little vignettes or whatever and then I put it out into the world it feels I don't know it just feels like I'm letting like a bird out of a cage and it's just like it's on its own you know it it, it feels like I'm letting something go free
0: so Oh, I like that. <laughs> I like how you put that. And I I also like when you say putting it on non-adopted people's radar. That's mm. that's good. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, all these things that we are always confronted with whether or not we want to be or not that so many people it's just not even something that they've ever really thought about having these you know, absences or this, this kind of grief that you just live with. So it's been, it's been interesting to kind of put that part of me out there. People do relate on, on different levels, even non-adopted people.
0: Of course, yeah. You write both nonfiction and fiction about the, the subjects that I named earlier. But you, as a young mother, you write about motherhood as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: I do. And for so many of us, it's so intertwined with sort of being an adoptee and not knowing your roots or like where you came from. So I think it's just kind of a natural progression. You know, I have biological children, so to have them in my life, it's just like such a I mean, it's such a joy for so many parents who have, you know, kids, biological, non-biological, whatever have a have bio kids it feels so heavy like so much so powerful that sometimes i'm just trying to explain that and also just like uh, again for so many of us how do we share our loss with our children with our families and then you know the culture aspect of it you know i mean i'm korean sure but like i'm not culturally korean <laughs> so it's like how do i just pass that along to my my children, which I'm very much trying to figure out all right now.
0: Mm, yeah, I've heard many Korean adoptees express that. It's just really hard to not yeah. know the culture or to be trying to learn the culture, especially as a parent, I would think.
1: Right, right. I mean, Chosek, like, I, I think I'm saying that right. Like the Korean Thanksgiving is like right now. And I've connected with, actually, I think she also does deep Voices now. Kim Sue Stevens. She lives close by, too. So we were talking about trying to do something. You know, we're kind of making up our own traditions in some way. Like, we kind of base it on Korean stuff. Like, we'll have some Korean food or something like that. Um, It's not going to work out. Um, something with my daughter came up. But, you know, we were talking about to kind of making up our own traditions. Which I think is really cool. I do, too. Special, but it's also, like... We don't really, we don't know. We don't have the elders to kind of, you know, we didn't grow up with the tradition, you know, I don't know, bowing or the the outfits or any of that. So we'll, we'll make up our own.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a great idea. And so yeah. would you say you had a healthy childhood?
1: Yes. I think I grew up, like I said, mostly in Virginia, some in Northern Virginia. And we moved to Williamsburg, Virginia uh, and the southern part of Virginia when I was, like, 11. I lived there until I went to college in Delaware. Yeah, it was a, a very, you know, as so many people say, a really white community. As you can imagine, like, Colonial Williamsburg, I mean, that's, like, where this, where I more or less, like, grew up. <laughs> and my parents sent me to a private Catholic school there, which I had not gone to before. So I was kind of like, what is this? <laughs> what are these uniforms? You know, Northern Virginia is slightly more diverse. So when I moved to Williamsburg, it was a little bit of a shock. Of course, like the whitewashing, my parents still to this day uh, don't really talk about adoption or race or anything. In fact, one really big challenge in my life is that I we don't talk about any of this. They don't know that I write <laughs> or any anything like that. I keep that a secret from my family. I think the only way they would actually find out is if they were to Google me. I don't know why they would ever do that, you know, more or less a healthy, I'm on, on the surface, healthy, stable childhood, upper middle class, a, very privileged in that way. I definitely suffered through some depression and anxiety and that kind of stuff, which, you know, it's those teenage years are always pretty tumultuous. But I, I do think that not feeling safe enough to talk about my adoption or about race or about me being different has definitely done some some damage to me <laughs> in terms of you know my mental health and emotional health. but on the surface, yeah, healthy underneath eh, questionable,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think we can all say that, yeah, for sure yeah. I didn't feel comfortable talking. I wasn't made to feel comfortable talking about my relinquishment and adoption. So I can absolutely relate to that. And what sounds like an added layer for you was your parents were of the mindset and sounds like still are of not seeing color.
1: Yeah, they're, uh, I I think my mom at least is sort of coming around a little bit, but. Yeah, they, they definitely were the the colorblind mindset, like so many people, like parents of that generation. It's just hard. And at this point, the part of the reason I don't talk to them about this stuff, I don't talk to them really about my being in re- or reunion with my bio family, even. Um, they know that I, I met them, which I can talk about a little bit. See, my dad is 83. And my mom is 79. So, you know, part of me is, is worried that bringing these things up now so so late in their lives might create a rift and like, I have children, and my parents love them. And, you know, vice versa, you know, they really enjoy being around them. And I don't want to kind of create this tension, this conflict, something could happen and then you know, my parents wouldn't see my, my kids. And it's really a lot of it is about my kids. Um, I think if maybe they weren't involved, I would maybe feel comfortable kind of talking to them about it. But the kids involved, I just I worry that it would create too big of a, a rift
0: between right. us. Yeah, because they're older. Right. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. It's sensitive, right? It's just very sensitive. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. it is. It is. And we've, you know, touched on it right now they, they moved um, when I was I don't know, probably about seven years ago, from Williamsburg up to Pennsylvania. They live in a pretty rural, kind of a rural area. They're surrounded by a lot of farms and stuff. You know, I've had to have some conversations like around. I mean, I don't need to bring up politics. My family felt unsafe when we visited due to our race. My husband is Vietnamese Mexican. Of course I'm Asian. So like ran. We we didn't feel safe going out. We were kind of nervous. And I, I had to kind of I felt like I needed to say something to my parents about it. And of course they they were so surprised, you know, that I was like, look at that sticker, you know, that's a that's a that's a hate group sticker, you know, on that truck. So, you know, there's a there's a little bit of that, but they still don't really see it.
0: Yeah, that that is hard when you don't feel safe yeah yeah
1: yeah. and I think for so many of us like adoptees too it's I think you know going back to the community it's such a I mean I know this is kind of an overused phrase but it does feel like a safe space especially like adoptee voices I mean people are so vulnerable and share such intense parts of their lives and everyone has been just so supportive
0: yeah, it's a wonderful thing and I think that's why it's said so much because feeling safe is so important like to everybody. You know, everybody wants yeah. to feel safe when they enter a room, when they are in mm-hmm. the public and and especially when you are vulnerable and transparent. You don't feel yeah. like you can do that unless you're in a safe space. So yeah, I think it's good when I hear people say that. It just makes me feel really good cuz we all desire that. Yeah, it's a, a tremendous community. For yeah. Sure. Well, do you want to get into uh, part of your reunion story? Oh, sure. Yeah.
1: See, I started, I think it was in 2016. I was like, oh, I'm going to go on Facebook and see if there's any sort of adoptee groups around me. And of course, there were, you know, so I started like, started getting involved a little bit. The one uh, event I went to, the first event I went to, there were several people there who had reunited with their Korean birth families, and I was shocked and amazed. And I was like, maybe I should give it a try. So on my my paperwork, um, it said it. I think it only listed part of my birth mother's name. Part of it had been whited out. I don't remember which part. And then it said I was illegitimate, so it didn't have my father listed. And basically nothing else uh, in terms of family information i just assume because of what you hear of course you know you're that my mother was very young you know you know whatever uh reached out to a let's see what are they called they got the the adoption agency in the u.s um that worked with eastern had uh given all their files to another organization somewhere in Minnesota. And I reached out to them about getting my files. And the social worker I worked with was really nice, actually. She basically over time, (laughs) I don't need to get all the details, but over time, she uh, reached out back to me and said, I have all of your information that was at Eastern in Seoul. And it listed my mother, my father, and my five sisters their birthdays, their names, everything. This was, let me see, it was around December 2016. So it was actually pretty fast and it was around my birthday and I was blown away, (laughs) totally blown away, did not know how to process that information that I had an entire family, I mean, I had five older sisters and parents that were married.
0: Um, Wow.
1: So, (laughs) yeah, and the and the funny, the the thing is, is that the more I kind of am in this community, the you know, adopted community, the Korean adopted community, there's so many other people who also have similar stories, and I'm like, like it's just it's just wild to me. I I'm sure you may have heard Jennifer um, having Korean adaptees on the podcast, you have to do sort of like a reach out via letter and they they have you have like two chances or three chances I don't remember to have them respond to your letter. So I sent one letter to my birth mother, I did not get a response and I was heartbroken. Uh, They suggested I do it again. So I did it again. And I did hear back. She said all the the things, you know, my heart like grew <laughs> mm. um you know after her letter and reading her and you know her just the warmth in her words and she said that she had to tell my sisters that I was alive because she had told them I had died. Mm. So <laughs> that's another thing I had to
0: yes. sort of
1: process like, oh my gosh, I'm a ghost.
0: Right. I just um, had a, a guest <laughs> on. Well she recorded with me. I just had a guest record with me. That was told that
1: the same thing. The
0: same thing that that her oh, yeah her first yes. mother told everybody that she had died. And she learned this some time ago, and she's still processing that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's just it's yeah because like, it seems like
0: yeah, it seems like it's so detrimental and harmful to a lot lot of people, right? Like
1: yeah. Right. I mean, for our, you know, first mothers to be mourning, relinquishing a child and, you know, their body is still kind of still in the the postpartum, you know, state and to tell people that, I mean, that is just like so heavy.
0: Yeah, that is very heavy. And the grief, I just, yeah, you first got to process it, then you got to deal with the grief of that.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a lot.
0: It feels yeah, like my, added uh, grief, right? I don't know. Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know. And maybe it's like they felt it was so, like they couldn't explain it. I guess, you know, I guess that's just really it. They just felt like they couldn't explain it. They didn't want to explain it. You know, they if you just say the baby died, you know, that's kind of the end of the, the story with, you know, in a conversation with people, you say, oh, the baby died. And then, but if you say we gave up the baby, you know, that could be more of a conversation, like why would right. you do that? Or blah, right. blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, so they were really poor. My birth mother was 40 when she had me. And I believe my birth father was abusive. And he really wanted a son. I you know, had five older sisters. So that was part of the reason that she, uh, I still don't fully understand. But I think all of those are reasons why they gave me up. So anyway, so I went to Korea. I connected with with her, um, you know, in the letters. I um, went to Korea in 2017, in the summer. I went on one of those, like, what do they? Homeland tour kind of things with a local group called Asia Families, where they, Grace Song is the director, and she puts together these tours for adult adoptees, as well as adopted families who have Korean adoptees. They also do a lot of like cultural stuff in the area so like my daughter right now is going to korean culture school with Asian families once a month which is a whole nother story in seoul at the adoption agency i met my birth mother and three of my four of my five sisters wow what was uh, that like it was overwhelming i was I was pregnant also oh, wow.
0: <laughs>
1: with my daughter. It didn't feel real for sure. I thought it was going to be my birth mother and like an aunt, like her sister or, her, or something like that. And then when they said like, your sisters are coming, I was like, really emotional. We all look alike. We're all the same height. And just on top of that, being pregnant with a girl, I knew it was a girl at the time, was just... All a lot. Um, mm. I mean, it was beautiful, and my husband was there. He took, you know, some great pictures. We had two translators because <laughs> um, they don't speak English. I don't speak Korean, so there was were tears and hugging and stuff like that. The translators were great, but of course, there's this awkward kind of talking through translators is awkward.
0: <laughs> right. Sure. <laughs> was that your first time um, back to Korea? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's yeah. a lot too, right? Like the, a whole nother country. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a lot. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, like, a, an amazing experience. And then later in that trip, I took the train down to Daegu, went and met my sisters at the train station. They picked me up, took me to my second older sister's apartment where we, they like, I don't know. We just like, I had a translator with me and we kind of just like hung out and then we went to a buffet because that's what you do in Korea. You go to buffets really good. Yeah, I got to meet my oldest sister who had not been in Seoul. So that was really great. She at the time, let's see, so I'm, I'm 40 right now. And at the time, I think so in 2017, she was like 50 or 51, but she and I look very similar. So that was really interesting. Yeah, and then you know we we had a good time. I got to meet their husbands. Several of their husbands were there, uh, and my birth mother was there again too. Um,
0: nieces and nephews and too. Was, no, they didn't. They
1: didn't come. And I don't. Maybe they were in school. I don't know actually.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, but I
1: do have I do have nieces and nephews, which is also amazing. And they've sent some pictures here and there, but I don't I don't really connect with them. And they're a lot older, you know, because like my sisters are in
0: their. 50s you now. So they were so all, then all remain together.
1: The, the, the sisters? S- yes. Yeah, they all, four of the five live in Daegu, which is in like the southeastern part of Korea, which is, it's kind of closest to Busan. And our birth mother lives there as well. And then the oldest lives somewhere else. I'm not sure. So she's a little further off. After the trip, I kind of stayed in touch with them just barely, and then on like a this chat app called Kakao Talk, and it's just you know like a like texting, right? And it's hard because they don't speak again they don't speak English, I don't speak Korean. We're kind of going through these weird apps to translate, and it just it feels clunky. And then I kind of stopped hearing from them, stopped hearing from my birth mother. My birth mother connected me with my youngest sister, who I did not meet in Korea. She and I have been messaging on Kakao Talk for the last four years. I've been able to watch her daughter grow up. <laughs> She's oh, like almost nice. 11. Yeah. It's incredible. But again, she doesn't speak English. I don't speak
0: Korean. Yeah, are you interested in learning Korean?
1: Well, I kind of, I'm on the, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm on the It's like part of me is like, no and i'm bad with languages and it's all these sounds that i as when i was growing up and stuff you know i didn't want to make those sounds i wanted to try and be as like american as as possible so when you're when they're saying make this uh, sound right and that's you know one of the sounds like in korean like it's just part of me this little part of me inside going oh that sounds so uh, you know like i don't like that sound I don't know. My, my daughter is asking me, she's, she's five now, I'm almost six, and she wants to know more about Korean and being Korean and all this stuff. And I have very little to share with her. And it's breaking my heart.
0: Yeah. <laughs> sure yeah. Parenting as an adoptee is tricky. And I do think and, being an adopted person affects how we parent. For so many, yeah. yeah, for so many reasons. And so, yeah, you just have to kind of navigate that and figure out what, what feels best.
1: Yeah. And my daughter is, so she's Korean, Vietnamese, Mexican. <laughs> my husband is Vietnamese, Mexican, and he speaks some Spanish, but doesn't speak any Vietnamese. So, like, he's kind of a what is it, the third culture kid, I think is the term. And so together, (laughs) we're kind of bumbling along, trying to, like, share what kind of little we know about our cultures with our children. And at least we have each other.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And like you said earlier, you can create new traditions. You know, like you can do, Yeah. yeah, you can do things that are very unique to you, to your family, and for obvious reasons, right? yeah
1: Yeah. and that is kind of the fun part i just i wish that i didn't it wasn't coming up so empty handed and even when i you know i can google stuff or whatever but it doesn't feel authentic to me you know what i'm saying like i didn't grow up with it i never went to like the culture camps or anything even as a kid Um, my parents always said well you didn't want to go so and I'm like, well, how was I supposed to know I wanted to go? Right. You know, like, yeah. I didn't know. I was just told to be as American as possible. So
0: I was just trying to fit in. Exactly. And as adoptees, we we want to adapt. We get good at that and not yeah. ruffling people's feathers and saying what we think they want to hear. All of that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I know that you have published in Adoptee Voices, the easing. Let's see, as early as November of 2021, right in Mira. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And the, yep. the title of the your
1: first time
0: I did it. Yeah, and the title of your piece "Message in a Bottle." I highly recommend everybody go to adoptee-voices.com and look at the publications there. And Sarah again published in June of 2022. And the title of your piece, beautiful Peace, River Full of Stars. So I know you've published in many other places, and you just let me know what you want me to include in the show notes so anybody can go and read your your work. And now I think it's a good time, as we prepare to wrap up, for you to read your piece today. Thank you for those kind words, Jennifer. I
1: highly recommend Adopted Voices to everyone. This slash creative nonfiction piece was published in a Peat Smoke journal, which is an online literary journal in the winter of 2023. So I think it was like February or something when it came out, called My Sister's Octopus. It's really about that sister that I mentioned that we've been texting back and forth for about four years and I still haven't met her. <laughs> Should I just read it?
0: (laughs) Yes, I would be happy for you (laughs) to read my sister's octopus whenever you're ready. Okay, all right.
1: The photo of your octopus is the first thing I see when I wake up. Resting in an aluminum tray next to something bulbous wrapped in foil, the cooked octopus is an elegant, deep albergine. The octopus's arms are tightly wound the white of its fleshy interior head spilled out onto a yellow gingham tablecloth. I imagine you and your our mother standing side by side at your small kitchen counter in South Korea, washing hands and tentacles alike. For the past three years, I've often woken up to your messages and pictures, such as this one, on my phone. You send me your husband and daughter, a field of poppies, beaches, and mountains, Selfies with our mother, a bowl of noodles, persimmons. I save every image as if it is part of a puzzle that will reveal who I might have been. Each piece, a sliver of the life I could have lived with you. But you were just a toddler the day our mother came home from the Daegu hospital and told you I was dead. You didn't know she had averted her eyes as they pulled me wailing from her warm body. You didn't know I would be given to a new family in the United States. You didn't know our mother lied to you. You write in a message to me one day, there's so much you don't know. I read your words on my phone until they blur together. You're right, Rumi. I don't know how to speak Korean or what our mother's favorite color is. I don't know how to cook an octopus or how one reacts when it's stripped from the sea what your house smelled like, or if you cried when your daughter was born, as I did. I don't know what you really think of me, your younger sister raised by Americans, a ghost come back to life. I cradle you in the palm of my hand, but when I reach out to touch
0: you, you aren't there. That piece is, mm, it's heartbreaking. And at the same time, I think you express so well Just the fact that when you say you didn't know, you didn't know, you didn't know, and then I don't know. Yeah, you you really pull that together in how much is unknown by everybody, right? Like by by both sides. That was beautifully done. Thank you so much for reading it. I love when authors read their words in their voice, so... Appreciate thank that. You. Is there anything I didn't ask you that you want to share?
1: Mm, I don't think so. I guess I just wanted to encourage folks to keep reading and buying and supporting adoptee writers <laughs> and other marginalized writers. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on, Jennifer. It's been such a such a joy. It's
0: a pleasure. Yeah. I, I thank you so much for having this conversation, taking the time to do so. And it's been most enjoyable to me and, and just keep writing. I think that, I mean, your talent is undeniable and I, I, I just know what you write about, I'm sure is helping you and so many others who read your words. So it's important and I hope you just keep going.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: It gives me insight to hear from the younger generation of adoptees about how they are navigating adulthood and parenthood. Often they are being intentional as parents about what it means to be an adopted person. Sarah, as a young wife and mother, understands the complexities of being separated from her culture as a transracial adoptee while embracing the what's possible perspective. During times of this recording, I felt the emotional pull that Reunion has and is having on Sarah. It can be difficult to manage connections with birth family members when there is a language barrier. So much can be lost in translation. Through the challenges of that, she still has given it a great effort to learn more about her first family, despite not having the best circumstances to do so. What I learned from Sarah and so many other adoptees is having elderly adoptive parents can be tricky to navigate as they speak their truth. They are from another generation. Adoptive parents often are not attuned to the feelings surrounding being separated from one's first family and other factors that suggest to them that they weren't good parents. Many adoptees share with me that they believe that their adoptive parents did the best that they could at the time. In a perfect world, adoptive parents embracing the both-and approach from the moment the ink has dried on an adoption decree would tremendously benefit the adoptee. Thank you, Sarah, for having this conversation with me. I enjoyed hearing you read your words and learning more to your journey so far. From the moment we met over two years ago, I believed we would meet again for an opportunity such as this. You are showing up in our community in ways that are helping others to do the same. I love how you are clear that your writings are to serve mainstream while simultaneously helping you and other adoptees. That's not a small task, but when you're willing to take on. You share with grace and clarity a part of the life you are living. If you're an adoptee and would like to share your adoption journey, visit JenniferDianeGhostin.com. If you like Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow and or give, hopefully, a five-star rating so others can find it too. During the course of your day, I trust you will tell at least one friend or someone who you believe might find value in it, because word of mouth is still the very best way for the show to grow. Thank you for being here.